Getting split Getting split ready. Getting split ready. Getting split ready. For my wife, God rest her soul. Oh God, I'm so sorry. Oh, no, no, she's not dead. <laughs> We're just divorced. Unscripted and honest discussions on divorce and separation. Getting split ready. What was I supposed to tell him? I divorced you from the show? Here's your hosts, Doug Katz and Mariah Pleasant. Hello, it's Doug Katz and Mariah Pleasant. Um, with another episode of Split Ready. Tonight with us we have Patrick Markey of Patrick Law Office of Patrick Markey, Chicago Kent College of Law graduate, graduate of Minnesota, and selected as Super Lawyer in Super Lawyer magazine for 2020. And Brian Wilson, graduate of DePaul University and University of Illinois, principal at Cogan and Wilson, and we're gonna move on. Uh, sorry, I got a little lost in there. Um, some great topics tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about Marriage Story. Saw it on Netflix. I had to watch it because you wrote the article. But we're going to talk a little bit about Marriage Story and how that moves to collaborative or how it, how it justifies collaborative divorce. The difference between Hollywood portrayal of divorce and what you see in reality. Talking a little bit about litigation and then a little bit about the difference between separation and divorce. So, Marriage Story up for a bunch of Academy Awards and a really pretty good portrayal. But tell me a little bit about your article. Yeah, uh, so I wrote a, a blog post for the Collaborative Law Institute of Illinois. Um, the title of it is that a marriage story is an advertisement for a collaborative for divorce. Um, and I've been recommending the movie to anyone who I've consulted with. No, move into the mic. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, I thought I was off. Uh, I've been wrecking. I, I, I originally didn't want to see the movie. Um, Why didn't you want to see it? I didn't want, you know, because I do divorce all day, every day, and it, I didn't want to use my free time to watch see another more one? divorce. Sure. But my wife happened to have it on Netflix, so I started watching it. The acting was really good. I decided, and I'm on the marketing committee of Collaborative Law Institute of Illinois, they said um, somebody should write a blog about it. I said, well, all right, I'll watch the movie. I'll write the blog. And I really enjoyed the movie, and I've been recommending people see it, clients that I have, uh, consultations, because it does show you what a divorce can look like. And, it, and I thought it was very authentic mm-hmm. and pretty real as to what some people, not everyone, experience in a contested case. So I also watched it when uh, we knew that we. I watched it first, though. You did. I told you, you it was beat awesome. Beat me by a day. Um, <laughs> I was wondering as I was watching it how hard it would be to watch while in the thick of it. It's it's a really real and raw portrayal of a lot of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, and actually, I I, I recommended it to somebody who is starting a divorce, and he started it and said I couldn't, I just couldn't watch. It was yeah too too close to the nerve for people going through it. So, but as I was watching it, because I, I was kind of watching it, thinking about the article that you wrote. Can you talk a little bit about why, how that really, I say proves out collaborative as a better approach than you might have seen in the movie? Well, it, it, it shows how nasty uh, a court battle can get. And it profiles three different types of lawyers now, there's a lot of different types of lawyers. Everybody's different. Everyone's an individual. Um, but uh, the first 
profile, it was the, the attorney that husband first consulted with, didn't want to go with, who was just too aggressive, ended up hiring somebody else. But then when he got um, frustrated, he went back to that. The Ray Liotta. The Ray Liotta yeah. character who was a slash and burn. You know, here's my hourly rate. Here's how much I cost. Is your wife an alcoholic? You know, what can we do to exploit her? What can we do to uh, get you what you want? And, um, uh, you know, it, it's, and it, I think anyone who watched it would say, you know, I, I didn't, I don't want that person. He was exaggerating things. He was taking things out of context. He was blowing up things that even the, the client didn't think was a big deal, all in the pursuit of winning. I mean, that lawyer, he wanted to win. And there was a second lawyer um, who was a little bit more collaborative in her pr- approach, but um, also kind of a wolf in sleep's clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, she wanted to win just as bad as he did. Um, and lawyers, uh, you know, that sometimes with litigation, it's the lawyer wanting to win rather than doing what's best for the client. You know, and that's that's what I was going to say. I wanted your, your thoughts. And, and please chime in as well. I know that you had when we were in the green room, we were talking about some of the stuff and you had some great points. But where the attorneys that were painted sort of in a, in a worse light were they said, I, I got this. You know, it was very much they were identifying the settlement with themselves. And that made me think of collaborative and, and you know, some of the discussions at some of the, the groups that I've been to where they where they talk about you know, not being about the I. So if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, there's one line in the movie. It's at the very end where Laura Dern, I think that's the person who mm-hmm. played the attorney uh the wife and husband had agreed to equal 50 50 time and she says i was able to get you another day and the wife says what What are you talking about i I wanted 50 50 time and her comment was i didn't want the husband to think that he had won or to be able to go around town gloating about it -hmm. it because that lawyer saw the settlement as something that she got for her client so even though a client wanted 50 50 the lawyer wanted her to have more, you know, for her own ego. I think that sometimes what people forget is that, like, clients are supposed to control the process, where it's collaborative, litigation, mediation, whatever it is. And so what gets lost is when, like, when clients let attorneys take control. We work for you. We're supposed to be helping you achieve your goals, not telling you what your goals are or telling you this is what we got you. It's supposed to be... Um, a process where you work together, but ultimately, if your client says, I want 50-50, then that's what they get. You're not supposed to go back and tell them that they deserve more. And I think a lot of people, when they're going through the process, forget that they're in control and they're supposed to be telling us what to do. Obviously, we give them advice, give them options, but they're the ones that are supposed to help drive the bus, not the attorneys. I think it's a misconception overall of the divorce process and part of why we created split ready to give people some of that control back and educate them through the process because I think a lot of people go into it I'm gonna hire a lawyer and the lawyer is going to do this for me they're going to fight for me they're going to get the settlement for me but if you're not clear on what you want that to be sometimes by no fault of their own the lawyer has to make their best guess and it may or may not be an actual reflection of what you want it to be and lawyers do end up in cases that are ugly and they don't know if you are going to be one of those people or if you're going to be able to be more amicable unless you are actually able to articulate that to your attorney. So some of the the onus of responsibility falls on the client as well, I think. 
Yeah, and the clients, they don't really know what they want sometimes. And what lawyers here, and Brian will probably agree, they say, I'd want what I'm entitled to, and I want what's fair. We hear that all the time, and that there's no answer to that question. There's a, mil- there's a million answers to what's fair. There's a million answers to what you might be entitled to. Um, well, and fair can be very subjective. Yeah. Entitled to is maybe a little bit clearer or easier to it's outline. It's clear. No, is it? <laughs> it really is. Nothing is really 100% clear in law. There's no clear cut anything. And what feels fair to one person may not. So, yeah, it's very subjective. So that's, I think, why we are big fans of doing some of that homework ahead of time, oh, how, which yeah. the couple in this movie had done to some extent. They had come to a lot of areas of agreement until the train went off the tracks. And and that's, you know, collaborative. If I'm, you know, selling that right now, it's the train does go off the tracks a lot to even the best people who have the best intentions. And it's a container that, you know, when you do go off the tracks, we keep you from hiring the custody expert, which is kind of a hilarious character in the movie. Both the husband and wife think this person's a complete dope mm-hmm. and completely unnecessary, but yet they're paying this person to evaluate the case. Those things happen in litigation because they don't really know where else to go. Agreed. The The character portrayal of the custody evaluator was really funny, but not funny because it's a very important role that um, is played. Did you think that were there points in the movie where you wanted to just be like, oh my gosh, this could be so much handled handled so much better than this? Because that's what I kept doing. It was like, oh, no, wait, stop. I did. It, it's a hard case. Anytime when you have a relocation yeah. or I want New York. So in the movie, one person wants to live in New York, one person lives in L.A. That's a hard case to settle. Um, that's so- a case where someone actually loses. In most divorce Correct. cases people don't win and lose you're all within a range but in a relocation case somebody has to lose i think from a money perspective i mean there, there were a lot of shots in the movie where he's writing ch- big checks to the lawyer they probably spent a lot of money on that evaluation and in the end the evaluation probably probably played no role in their eventual settlement um i don't according to the movie it didn't and a lot of times in cases it, it doesn't um they figure it out so Again, we keep talking how things go off the rails. And you had a great point that in the beginning, they really thought things out. We're going to mediate. We're going to do all this great stuff. And by the way, they're spoilers. We shouldn't have said, we should have said earlier. They're spoilers. If you <laughs> haven't spoiler watched alert. it yet. Spoiler they're, alert. They're spoilers. Ray Liotta's in spoilers. it. Um, but how can people keep out the bad advice of going off the rail with something that was working for them? Wait, I don't understand that question. So if they were going down the collaborative route, as an example, or the mediated route, everyone else is telling them, "Here's what you're entitled to. Here's what's fair. You're doing. You're a sucker. You're going to do it that way." How can they stay on the track? What What advice can you give them? Well, you know, it's it's kind of who you hire in evaluating that person, uh, and doing your own homework, finding out what collaborative is, finding the right person who actually does a lot of it, um, and isn't just doing it as like a marketing thing. Um, and, uh, I, I, you know, you can only do so much. I mean, you can only control you. And, um, if your ex-spouse is not going to do collaborative or not agree to mediation or wants to litigate with you, you're going to have to deal with that. But you can really only control you. 
I think as far as like keeping up and it's like it's trying to find out what your true goals are. And like Patrick said, it's finding an attorney that you, you know, you really connect with, because frankly, you know, if this is a real estate transaction, your real estate attorney is just going to go over, you know, form documents. Whereas like as a divorce attorney, we will know everything about you and your entire life mm -hmm. and be closer than some of your closest friends. So like when people ask me when they're interviewing a few people, how do I choose? I always tell them, whoever you feel most comfortable with, who did you feel you connected most with in your conversation? Who do you feel is like aligned more with you and what you're trying to accomplish? A lot of times we joke, you, you find your soulmate in your divorce attorney, right? Because you spend so much time and you talk about things that you may not even be comfortable talking to other people about, but it's better to tell them than for them to find out at a, an unexpected time. I also think it's important to like build a team. I know in collaborative, they do it a lot. Um, in mediation and litigation, you can do the same thing. It's a matter of finding resources that aren't your friends, right? That aren't just there to tell you the right thing, the thing you want to hear. It's finding your financial planner that can help you make great decisions. It's finding your mortgage brokers who can help you decide what's the right you know, path to you know, th the next purchase or refinance or whatever you might be doing. It's finding this team that can really help you build those goals and make sure that you're staying on the same page and that you're not just, you know, talking to your best friend who's going to support you no matter what you do. And you're not, you know, going down the, the dark hole of Google by yourself. And so I think it's important to build those resources and to make sure you have them. One of the things that I took away, it was a small piece of it, but there was a part in the middle of the movie, more spoilers, but where I was like, gosh, she's really changed her track. She's mad. Why is she so mad? And then she lets loose on the phone that she hacked his email, found out his affair. And I'm like, change your passwords, people. Like, right, right. come on. Because I think in most married couples, most of us could probably hack each other. I could hack my husband. I could probably hack my mom if I wanted to. Change your passwords. Don't make this easy if this is the road that you're going down to make it go off the rails so drastically. Well, a lot of times they, they got that information when things were supposedly good. Mm -hmm. They saw the password on the phone that's all it takes it's not about really logging into somebody's email <laughs> you need to yeah there's no the hacking <laughs> and you got it facebook it's all right there um and they they do it when things are good not when things are bad well we do ask a lot of times when we're doing our consultations and we're sending out retainers like can anybody else read this email mm -hmm. like, does anybody else have your text like do you back it up to a shared you know folder somewhere just to make them start thinking about those things. But I agree with Patrick. A lot of time the information, the cat's out of the bag already. And so, but like once the process is started, I agree, like it is, it's simple steps to make things easier. Change your passwords. We have some great checklists online actually, because we have a, one of our certifications is Divorce Safety Pro. And there's a lot of stuff we espouse with that to keep ComSec, that we used to call it. No, yeah. <laughs> I had to throw some military. Should we move on? Our next segment is brought to you by Keystone Mediation. Take control of your divorce. A keystone is the central principle or agreement on which all else depends. Let Keystone Mediation help you create the foundation for your future. www.keystonemediation.com, serving Indiana, Illinois, and doing online mediation. All right. Now, watching a marriage story. It's a marriage story or a marriage story? I think it's a marriage story. I think story. it's a marriage story. I uh, was thinking about other divorce movies, right? you know, War of the Roses and all these movies that either paint it really, really good or really, really bad. And, and there's always the thought of, 
media being, you know, a mirror of society or vice versa. But how, what do you think? What do you what do you guys think on the accurate portrayal of divorce in Hollywood or on TV? I guess TV. So Noah Brownbach, I think that's how you say his name. He, the one who did Marriage Story, he also did a squid in the whale like about 15 years ago, which I saw, which was a great, I mean, he, I, he's from a divorced family and he got divorced. So squid in the whale was like his childhood and a marriage story was probably kind of like his divorce. Um, and, uh, they're, I, I thought they were both very real. I haven't seen more on the roses in a long time, but that's definitely, um, they're out there. Uh, you know, there's, there's out, you know, 50% of cases are a certain way. There's outliers. But those cases are out there, and, and they, um, you can be that case, too. No one ever thinks that's going to happen to them, like getting stricken with a disease or something. No one thinks that. But a nasty divorce can happen to you. <laughs> I mean, it does. I think that, I think that nobody's going to do movies about, the, like, the middle 80%, though, right? Like, well, the ones that we, they come in, they retain, we negotiate a little bit, and, it's, and it works out, right? Because that doesn't, nobody wants to watch that. I do agree with Patrick that there are your extremes. Like, and those are the cases that if you walk around the Daily Center, those are the legendary ones that everybody knows about. You, you know, they've had a ton of attorneys. They litigate all the time. The judges talk about them. Um, I think that a lot of times, though, that, like, I was looking up statistics before I got here, like, it's something like 90 to 95% of cases settle. They don't actually go to trial, right? But nobody wants to do a, a to watch a movie or a TV show about, you know, collaborative where they sat around a table and they agreed after, you know, five meetings and they moved on and had a wonderful, you know, post-divorce life, right? They want to see like people, you know, stealing food out of the fridge when they're sharing the house and taking the dogs and like hiding clothes and things like that, right? Like they want to see the things that either they've dealt with or give them the ideas to do to their spouse, right? So there's <laughs> realism, you're saying, but it's it's an amplification of the realism of, of that small percentage. Correct. I, I mean, there are cases like the movie, and there are cases that are even worse than that. And, you know, some cases, Patrick, I'm sure, has them too, where they're cursed cases where they just last forever and you litigate forever. And, I, I mean, and that's the portrayal that people enjoy seeing right They'd... well i think the problem with that too is that the people see these cases going to court and if they don't realize that 90 to 95 percent of cases settle out of court they may enter this process thinking they're going to get some sort of emotional satisfaction or vindication in front of the judge and that just doesn't exist for a lot of people there's no vindication right <laughs> if, if we can agree on one thing yeah. there is no there's... vindication ever yeah never you've and... never seen the judge have like ma'am you are right and sir you are wrong like it just doesn't so Right. And, and but that statistic, the 95 percent is is probably accurate, but it's kind of misleading. Not that you're trying to be misleading, because <laughs> um, there's a lot of cases that settle the day of court or the day before. So they went through a lot of crap and a lot of turmoil and a lot of litigation just because they didn't actually go to a trial. Doesn't mean that they didn't go through some horrible stuff similar to Marriage Story. I, like they didn't go to trial in Marriage Story either. Correct. And. Look how horrible that was. I don't even know if they went to trial in the War of the Roses because they never he never signed it. Uh, are there any portrayals of like you know the opposite of killed? that? Opposite <laughs> you know what I was going to say yeah. is what's interesting is the portrayal carries on. Then like I was watching I think War of the Worlds was on this weekend and you know Tom Cruise is this you know 
heart in the right place, but kind of ex-husband, father who doesn't really do anything right. And like the post-divorce seems to always be, you've got the responsible, the responsible wife, and then like the dad who, you know, either they go one direction where, okay, I understand how this guy ended up dead later or something, or the one where it's like their heart's in the right place, but they're, you know, just kind of, they can never follow the divorce decree or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, this, I, I say this, this stuff is driven by the people involved. So there's a lot of people with mental health issues out there. I'm just throwing out a statistic. I think at least 20% of the population has, whether it's narcissism, anxious disorder. I mean, those people get divorced a lot just because of their disorder or even whatever spectrum they're on. So a lot of those people you see at the Daily Center who are there like every time I'm there. I mean, there are cases that both Brian and I, if I'm in a courtroom, I see that same guy. I know all about his case. I come back the next month. He's there again. Um, he's just in for years. I mean, those people have mental health issues. They're fighting, and they really can't control it. In those cases, I, I honestly don't know how those will get resolved. A lot of times they don't. They just go on forever until you run out of money. Out of money or well, some something. people love it, right? Like. It's sport for them. It is yeah. sport for them. And some people can't sign, right? Like they can't sign the agreement. Even after their divorce, you know, you're talking about post-divorce, right? And sometimes they're coming back for issues. Some people can't agree. They don't want to agree. They love the fight. They love the, the struggle or the, like an opportunity to, to get something they lost in the first round. Who did we have? We had a guest once that said that there's three types of couples where they're both done, one is done, or neither is done. And it's those couples where they're in this dysfunctional, abusive dynamic and they're just not done and they're going to do it as long as they can because it's it's what they what they do. It's what they've done. Right. Well, and it's interesting, you know, I, when, when I first kind of posed this thought of Hollywood versus reality, there's, you know, the thought of the just portrayal. But then if you look at even how like stand-up comedians or the way that they discuss every divorce lawyer was trying to take all their money and or the divorce lawyer on the other side was, you know, whatever. And you look at even how it's portrayed that way. And if someone's thinking about it, they're like, oh, my God, you know, I can think back to even the 40s or whatever where people take my wife, that kind of thing, you know, where there's always some some aspect of a nasty divorce on that, too. And and I don't always trust what people say about their own divorce. <laughs> They'll say, oh, I got screwed in my divorce, you know. Like, all right, well, well, and then I ask him, well, what happened? Well, I had to pay my wife child support. I'm like, well, does the child live with her? Yeah. Well, you didn't really get screwed. <laughs> you may not want to pay child support, but so, uh, or, you know, someone says, well, I didn't go to court. It was so quick. Well, maybe you didn't have kids. Maybe you had zero assets. Right. right. Totally as much as everybody's case. the same, they're all slightly different. And people always feel like they lose, right? Like, you never, you very rarely walk out where both people feel like, they accomplished everything they wanted. It's a divorce. Both right. people are going to lose to some extent. If well, you're equally unhappy, you probably did okay. And very rarely is there enough. Like you had enough when there was two of you, but now there's half of it or whatever yeah. the split is, and now there's not enough for everybody. Yeah. It's interesting, too, that there's not any that I can think of portrayals in the media or in movies and TV shows of those divorces that are actually really amicable. Because they do exist. Where well, what I was going to say is now there's reality shows that in the same way there's like this hyper conflict on like dating ones. There's reality shows where some dude who used to like save bars, 
He would go and like say, hey, here's what you got to fix. It was now like trying to save marriages. And it's, of course, what's in the commercials? People yelling at each other and stuff like that, right? So people want that. Yeah, I mean, I fighting. think there are. Isn't like, what's that movie with Vince Vaughn where he's like with the breakup with Jennifer Aniston? Yeah, the breakup. Right? Is that yeah. what it's called? Yeah. I think oh, that one was it. amical. Weren't they married? No. No, no, that was very. No, and they, yeah, they, they, no, up, they ended up going very badly. What about Talladega Nights? They broke, they got divorced in that, and then he remarried his best <laughs> friend. <There you> go. <laughs> <laughs> but there are some amicable divorces. There are people who go on to be great co-parents and can exist and almost even be friends, and that's just not something that you see either. Well, the only time you see it is not necessarily like you were saying, but in a comedy where they want to show the guy is weak or something like that. You know, where then. The whole family gets together, and it's 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 like weird. It's like fish out of water stuff when they do that, because it's not normal for people to get together during the holidays. I think the only one I saw that came close was like Daddy's Home or whatever, where they all reconcile at the end. But in the beginning, it was all about friction when everybody's together. There was a movie with Reese was with Reese Witherspoon at the holidays, where like her mom and dad were there in the same. Christmases, something like that. Yeah. I remember. I was hoping that's you weren't my, going to Hallmark. That's my holiday direction. season every year. Is it? But oh, there's yeah. a part at the end where they all came together because of the grandkid, right? Like they were like, okay, we're we've been fighting for who knows how many years at this point. There's a grandkid who's four who deserves both of our love and attention. We're not going to have two birthday parties and two Christmases and. Look, two you everything. answered your own question. I had to think of it for a while, but yeah, not but no, you went, but you said it's a happy outcome. Yeah. At the end, finally, I guess. Yeah, 20 years later, however long it takes. I mean, in so my parents are divorced. My mom and dad are divorced, and then my mom's divorced a second in time. But in one of the divorces, it was awful. Like, they fought, and it was terrible, and to this day, it's still terrible. But in another one, like, we would get together for Christmas mm-hmm. and for Thanksgiving. And, you know, the in-laws on one side would come over to my mom's house, right? And so it was like we had mixed we still have mixed holidays, even though they're divorced. So, like, it does happen. But, like, in the media and the movies, like, what happens is it's it's very quick. They're divorced, and then they move on, and then it's like a comedy, or there's some other plot twist, right? It's not, like, the focal point. Yeah. My family's like yours. We all get together at the holidays. My mom officiated my sister's wedding. My dad and my my stepmom's daughter. Like, everyone's just good. And I know it's weird, but it's not a unicorn. It does happen. Hopefully it'll happen more. Hopefully. But Collaborative. It, it, yeah, but it's it's really driven by the people involved, too. Some Correct. people are just more um, on that spectrum of they're going to have a bad divorce. Like, yep. if you're a massive narcissist, you're going to have a bad divorce. I mean, it's just, there's no way around it. Right. Like, if you're looking for emotional closure in it, if you're looking for to make the other person pay for something, it's not It's never going to go done. well, yeah. Right. Agreed. Well, great discussion. The next segment of... Getting Split Ready is brought to you by the Divorce Pro Network. The Divorce Pro Network is the only curated, vetted, and certified group of professionals to help you through your divorce. If you have a question, go to www.splitready.com and click on Find a Pro. Well, litigation, right? We're kind of going all over the map on different types of divorce. And and it's weird because I think litigation has taken on that four-letter word type thing where people, it, it's it's always thought of as bad. And some of the stuff when we were going back and forth, kind of picking the the subject, you know, it's got a time and place. So let's talk a little bit, Brian, about litigation and and your thoughts on that. Well, so you can see in our, in our different personas, like Patrick's obviously very collaborative, which is great. Like, so is my partner. And I think it's a, a, a great way for certain people to move forward. I just think that from a litigation standpoint, it doesn't have to mean trial. It doesn't have to mean where you burn down the estate and then the slash and burn and you spend all your money. 
when we go to when we're in litigation and we're not in a collaborative process or we're not in mediation, we're still negotiating all the time. It's just different. Um, sometimes we negotiate and we reach uh, an agreement on 95% of the issues. And then to get us over that hump, we use a judge to help us little, you know, put the little bow on top to make sure we're done. Some people can't always get there to the end. Or sometimes you're, you know, you're $100 apart, you're $200 apart, and the attorneys can't get their clients to budge. And so you need somebody to help move you over to the edge of the finish line. Um, I think with litigation, there's like benefits to it over other processes. Again, it's not, not always fighting, but sometimes there's not a lot of trust between people when they're going to vote through a divorce. Like Wait, that's can, a can shocker, you, can right? Can you expand on that? Cause that was, cause I think people think litigation fighting. And if you could talk a little bit about why litigation isn't about a kinetic thing that I would love yeah, to hear. So thought. like in a, in a typical like litigation case in our office, like, we might not necessarily even file the case right away, but if we do, a lot of times what we're doing is we're just gathering information, whether it's voluntary or whether it's issuing discovery. And the reason we do that is to, to provide people with a basis to have an agreement. And so that's just more of exchanging things through a process. It doesn't make it a combative process. It's just rules that are set up to make things move forward. And it allows things to move forward in a manner that like will push cases. Because you had brought up a point earlier that Sometimes in a divorce, there's people that are at different paths, right? Somebody might already be ready to be divorced while the other one just realized they were getting divorced last week, Yep. right? So, like, you need sometimes these rules and these processes to move both people forward at a pace that works for everybody. Um, and you can use these processes to kind of help sometimes rebuild the trust, right? So sometimes when you're, you're filing for divorce, all of a sudden the trust is gone, you're fighting, you have nothing to fall back on anymore. And you think people are hiding money and somebody swears that they're not, right? You, if you don't believe your spouse, no matter how many documents you voluntarily give over, you, you may never answer that question about hiding money. So this, the litigation process allows a person to you know, seek information independently, to, to verify their own concerns without necessarily um, you know, going to court, fighting about it, to, to seek the information from the direct source. Um, I also think sometimes, you know, it, this doesn't necessarily go to your question, but in a divorce process, there's, there's typically like an imbalance of power, right? There, people aren't always on equal bargaining terms. Sometimes there's control over money. Sometimes there's control over kids. Sometimes there's control over information. And having the ability to remove the dominant person from all of the control can really help people kind of move forward, whether it's somebody who had all the money and gave an allowance or only somebody had a credit card, or with somebody who made all the decisions with the kids and only gave access. So let's say, and, and do you litigate as well, right? I do, yeah. So, and I know that in your office, you've got, you know, your, your partner's very into collaborative and stuff too, so you guys offer kind of everything. But I would love to hear both of your thoughts on if somebody comes in, how do you how, how how do you decide what advice to give them whether it should be mediation or collaborative or litigation what's the process you go through so i mean i i present all of it i present here's collaborative i mean collaborative is voluntary so if the other person's not going to do it you're not doing it and you're having to do and if they don't agree to mediation you're not doing mediation right. so and i i agree with brian litigation does get a bad rap or 
Um, people, you know, think it's a, a thing that needs to be avoided. I think a lot of it is because of the nasty cases that they see in the media or that we were talking about earlier. Um, but it, it can be done well and right. And if, if you have two good people on it, being respectful and being proactive, um, it, it can be it can be done well. And, and I echo everything Brian said, too. There are some cases where it's just necessary, where one person doesn't want to get divorced, the other does, things like that. But I think from picking the process, I think a lot of it has to do with, like, personalities, right? Like, some people, you'll know when you're talking to them, like, this is a great fit for Clab. So, like, we do the same thing. We tell them about all three processes, and we kind of see, like, what's going to work for you and your family, right? If it's if it looks like it's going to fit Collab, then they walk down the hall to Eva, and right, and because she's might be a great fit for them. If it looks like that might that process might not work out because we have a lack of trust or maybe, you know, there's been some issues and we explore what else might work for them. So it's really kind of what what is going on with this family and what helps them achieve their goals. So we talked a little bit about the movie, the marriage story or a marriage story. What do you do or how do you operate? So let's say you end up with a client who seems pretty sane put it together they're going to litigate because they need some help with the process but they don't necessarily want to be contentious they just there's been a breakdown of trust they need some information and some guidance if the other person goes to an attorney that isn't on the same playing field as you um that is the ray Liotta of the marriage story doesn't that change the, you can go in with the best of intentions right but if the other side is doing it differently how do you yeah, don't so you have to come up to their level of sometimes so like patrick said it before we only control our side of the process right we control us and what and how we can deal with those things sometimes like the ray Liotta process is not the most successful approach right like and so even if somebody is yelling and screaming and uh, at the bench i mean i don't you can tell from our personalities and talking we're both pretty similar in that we're calm and you know there's certain tactics that you can use to basically fight the people that are you know, accusatory, that yell, that, you know, make outrageous comments that are basically like circuses, right? Like they, they turn a process into a circus, you know. Sometimes I'll raise my hand at the bench, right? So it makes them look like they're childish because they're they're turning something that doesn't need to be this way into something that's more than it is. And so a lot of times you're just, it's like almost dealing with a bully, right? You kind of, you don't let them be show that you're intimidated. You don't let them bully your client. You don't have to rise down. To, when you say up, I think a lot of times it's like going sure. down to their level. And, um, you know, you just kind of, I, I always try and like settle the situation down. Our judges generally don't react well to people screaming and yelling at them. Like that just, it might work a little bit to intimidate them, but in the long term, it does not work. And so a lot of the times you have to almost coach your client to say like, look, they're going to say these things, and 95% of what they say, the judges don't care. And so you just have to, like, we're not going to sit there and get into the name calling. We're not going to go down to their level because in the end, when we're done with this and when issues are going different ways, if you've taken the high road, one, in theory, you'll feel better about yourself. But a lot of times judges will see that, and it can help your case in the long term. Yeah, I Brian said it exactly the way I would have said it. The, most judges... They don't like that at all. They don't like the Ray Liotta types, the aggressive ones. Uh, but it is it is very difficult for the client and even for the attorney when the other side is just blatantly lying 
blatantly making things up and you know, exaggerating things like the person who had one beer is suddenly now an alcoholic. Right. Uh, that happens a lot and the clients go nuts and they want to fight back and they want to. They know how to push each other's buttons at this point. Right. But, you know, there, there's a lot of people that embellish the facts. Yeah. Um, and that can be very hard. I mean, that that's just a, it's a very hard thing to deal with. Um, but like Brian said, you just keep doing what you do and stay true to the facts and the law and just keep going. And it, it, it usually get a good result that way. The person who makes things up and has tantrums in court, um, you get the, the client might get an immediate gratification seeing the lawyer do that, but the result is usually it, it doesn't translate into the result. I would I would agree. I would say like they might get some immediate like traction because they see outlandish things and people are get scared and they're like, oh my gosh, we should listen to these outlandish comments. But once like it, the facts really start to come to light and people really start to learn what's going on, it usually does not bode well and it ends up like backfiring on them. I think you mentioned too that you guys are both of a more calm demeanor and I think that if that can flow through to the client because part of the challenge is not getting is keeping your client from reacting to those things correctly right that's the hard part yeah and I mean I'm not 100% of the time calm (laughs) (laughs) I mean if someone's really pushing my buttons I will go nuts too I mean we all do because it's it's frustrating yeah. When you're doing something the right way and somebody is not doing it the right way. I also think it's important. It's like setting expectations when you're walking in, right? Like, I know this attorney. I know what they're going to say. This is how it's going to come out. They do the same thing all the time. Like, be, this is how it's going to go. So be prepared. And don't, you don't want, if you're standing in front of the bench and, uh, you know, you, the opposing counsel makes some comments and you, they, your client all of a sudden starts like huffing and like making noises and moving around and getting all worked up. The attention then shifts to them and all of a sudden the judge is telling them to calm down and be quiet. Now you've played right into that mm-hmm. person's hand. So it, it's an exercise in frustration, but you, you have to stay calm. You have to try to keep them level-headed. Um, we recommend therapy through divorces all the time, which is very helpful um, because while I'm sure we could be I mean, I'm not going to say I'm qualified to be a therapist, but I probably give 25 hours a week in therapy. Um, really you know. expensive therapy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. They, yeah. yeah. We, we've had some really good guests on the show who've talked about, you know, hey, if you want a $500 an hour therapist, that's great. But real therapists know what they're doing much better than we do. Yes. I thought of um, something when we were having that conversation. So. Um, attorney's fees is something that, um, so we have a fee sharing statute where, um, you know, uh, both attorneys get paid. If you're married and there's a prenup where you waive contribution of fees. Um, but even if you're fighting about custody, you, that's not, you can still get attorney's fees. So a a lot of uh, clients complain about is having to pay the the attorney's fees of the other lawyer. They don't want to do it. Or they, they're paying another lawyer to litigate against them. Mm-hmm. And if there's enough money in the case and you get that Ray Liotta type from Marriage Story and he sees that $10 million estate, he says, I can just, yeah. I can churn this for the next five years um, and make up things. And so a lot of clients are in litigation. Brian could chime in on this too. They want it to stop. <laughs> like they're on this train and they're like, how do we stop this train? And 
with this other person who just keeps litigating. I'm writing checks to pay this other lawyer litigating against me. And it's, it, it's, it's wicked. Um, and it, it can be difficult to, to get off that train. Yeah, I agree. It's frustrating. Split Ready is brought to you by the Split Ready Divorce Assessment. You don't know where you're going if you don't know where you are. And the Split Ready Assessment allows you to evaluate yourself in five critical aspects of divorce preparedness. Go to www.splitready.com and take the Split Ready Assessment today. Now, wanted to talk a little bit also tonight about divorce versus separation. I always read divorce... The divorce month is January. January is like the big month that people have held off and they're getting divorced, but divorce might not be the right way. At Split Ready, we espouse like going the right path. Talk a little bit about the difference between divorce and separation. I mean, are you talking about like legal separation or just kind of like separating and hanging out but still married for a while? No, legal separation. It's a question that I get a lot in, I think often it, uh, is in relation to health insurance. I think that's the reason I get that question the most often is can we s- be legally separated? Yeah. So, oh. I, I mean, I think I think it only works in very unique circumstances and it, it usually is health insurance related. I mean, because there's potentially a lot of liability that's attached to it because you're technically still together. Like what? So for example, um, like if your spouse is in a car crash, right and you're still married and so like a legal separation doesn't necessarily fix a lot of those things legal separation in theory like the statute it's a very narrow statute where arguably if you don't place your assets and liabilities before the judge before the court like the court doesn't necessarily gain jurisdiction over them they can only stop certain things um i i just don't necessarily think that it's always the best circumstance i usually only recommend it to people when you have somebody who's like really ill and won't be able to afford it afterwards, or they're elderly, and it's, again, there might be some insurance reasons there. I don't know if you've so, had a different experience. Um, I've only done, like, three in my whole career. That's how rare it is. I mean, I've done over a 1,000 divorces. One time it was for religious reasons. They didn't want to okay. be divorced. Um, I'm not 100% sure my wife works for an insurance company. I don't think you can be legally separated and stay on somebody's insurance. I think they, it depends. They treat that as divorce. It depends on the plan, mm-hmm. but a lot of them, they've, they're wise to it now, and they see it as kind of a pseudo-divorce, so they're saying no. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and most people, when they find out that it's really almost the same thing as divorce, they're like, well, I might as well just get divorced. But like almost the, the <laughs> benefits of it don't necessarily outweigh the potential consequences because if you get legally separated and then later you decide you want to be divorced, then you still have to get a divorce. So because it's, it doesn't... So if someone's going through, through a separation, what they think is a legal separation is probably just a trial separation or, or pre-divorce. So there's a separation requirement. It's technically six months, which doesn't really get enforced. So... I think people just live separate and apart, and we're gonna. They, they say we're gonna see if we want to not be married or not, or get divorced. So that that's one way that they use the term. And then the other term is the actual judicial order, where you're still married, you're still acquiring all the rights that a married person gets. All the debt. All the all debt. All the assets. All the income. And really, it's just um, unless you've unless you've put it into an order, like we we agree to keep our assets separate and no maintenance but that's really exactly what a divorce is it's just 
when I do a legal separation, I really just change the the title. There's really no difference. It's th- just a, you can you can do it more a la carte. So. I think one of the thoughts behind it that I've gotten from people is that they think that that kind of stops the clock for oh. 401ks or for debts, like whatever accrues after the legal separation date is individually owned versus still marital property. And I think that's one of the... Only if you enter that into a court order. And so that's like like Patrick's saying, you're basically negotiating a divorce at that time. So if you enter it into a court order, then yes. But if you don't place those issues before the court, my, my I haven't read the legal separation statute in a while just because I agree with Patrick. I've done you know a thousand divorces and maybe two of these. And one was for like an 85-year-old couple. Um, but it, unless you place them there, I don't think the court has jurisdiction, which means they can't do anything. So you can enter an order saying we're legal separated, but again, you, all of that still continues to accrue. Another big point here is a lot of people just say, I want to get divorced. I don't want to deal with any of that other stuff. I just want to be divorced. So, well, in Illinois, you have to deal with all that other stuff like property, support, if you have kids. You can't get divorced without having an agreement on 100% of that stuff. But in other states, I, I learned in North Carolina because I had someone from there, you can actually get divorced in North Carolina and not deal with the financial stuff. You really? Can, you can just apply, and if they don't contest, it's just you're divorced, and you don't deal with any of the financial. And now if you own joint property, you still have issues. You're going to have to figure that out. But that's Sounds an interesting— like a disaster. Yeah, no, I mean, you still have to work out things, but let's say you didn't own any property together and you don't want to deal with even like identifying the assets or support. You just want to be divorced and not married. You can do that in North Carolina. I mean, maybe it's something for Illinois to consider doing, making it a little easier for some people to get divorced and not have to deal with disclosing your property and figuring out who gets what and putting that, listing that, all that stuff down. Which There's some people don't want to do. Some counties, I think, that have that streamlined or that simplified. Though that's um, for people with really no income. Right. Or you have to make less than fifty thousand combined. You have to have no yeah. real estate, and I mean, you you don't even have a lawyer in that situation. I haven't seen many of those, or those people are going pro se, but it, it's a very limited amount of people. Do you even though a, a separation that's not a legal separation? There's no legal component to it do you recommend people come up with some type of agreement during that so that it's kind of like what their divorce would be like well they have to when they have kids so if you separate and one person lives in highland park and one lives in chicago and you have kids you have to immediately come up with how are we sharing the kids so they you immediately have to and you immediately have to figure out how are we paying bills how are we sharing money so a lot of things, when people actually live separate and apart, a lot of those issues hit them very quickly. Yeah, I agree. I think it, like, you have to be careful with that because when you do and you separate like that, you've now created, like, a new status quo for your situation, right? So, like, if people separate with kids, like Patrick's describing, and you work out a parenting schedule and it's going fine but one person's suddenly not happy with it, that's too bad, really, because if it's been going on for six months or seven months, like, that's the new status quo. That's the new kid's life. So, like, these trial separations can have a serious impact on people if they're not prepared to, to see what it might look like long term. I mean, and also, like, it, it's almost like going back to the collaborative 
and litigation discussion. Like it takes a special kind of people to have a trial separation, lay down rules about paying bills, when they're going to see the kids, and then follow those rules and not use certain things to kind of mess with the other person because there's no orders to protect anybody. There's nothing in place that could stop, you know, somebody from cutting off all the money or not bringing the kids down on Friday. And so, you know, people have to trust each other to make that work. And if things go wrong, it's not divorce doesn't have a lot of quick fix. Like Cook County is slow. There's not many emergencies that you can file and jump in to suddenly pay the mortgage like they our courts don't care about things like that. Like they care about things involving the kids. Mm -hmm. They care about things that are impacting their safety. But if you're cut off from money, a lot of our judges are like, go borrow it from your mom and like come back in six weeks and we'll deal with it then. So like you have to be, you almost have to be prepared that, you know, it's going to fail in those methods. And I know that sounds like terrible, but it, a lot of times it's like you're, you, when people come and ask me about that, it's like, I got to tell you, make sure that if tomorrow you suddenly are cut off from his income or her income, or you don't have access to the kids, like what's your plan? Like you almost have to prepare for the worst in those situations. And if you end up, so let's say you come up with an agreement for a trial separation, you're implementing it for six months and shit hits the fan. And now you're in a contentious divorce. Does that original separation agreement kind of indicate or dictate where you're going to end up in the divorce? If you agree to it once, you're going to agree to it again type of thing or set sort of it's expectations? A, yeah. I mean, the, the beginning of a case when you're with kids, when you're separating is critical. I mean, I, I won a custody trial just solely fact that the dad had possession of the child when we filed the divorce. And the case, it was a two-year case, and the mom filed an emergency motion in the beginning saying, I want the kid back. And the judge said, where was the child living when the case was filed? What dad? Okay, well, I'm going to temporarily keep with dad. Two years later, we were in a trial in front of a different judge. And she said, where's the child been living the last two years? And I said, well, with my client. She's like, well, I'm just going to keep that going. And then we actually did a trial for over two days. Guess what the judge did? She kept the status quo that they set before they even met a lawyer. So that's how critical those first couple days even of a separation can I mean, I literally want a custody trial just because of that. I so. think, though, what you're saying, like, if you have an agreement and you're and you're working out, it's the court doesn't have to follow it. There's like a provision that says, you know, any agreement that the, the parties, you know, follow, but they can also throw it out the, the window, too. Mm -hmm. And the issue becomes is if people came up with something and is beneficial to somebody else and detrimental to the other party, like people are now anchored in poor positions. Right. And from a bargaining standpoint, if they're anchored in poor positions, then it gets harder to move them together. Right. right. And so that almost inevitably leads to more fighting because you started in a place that was not equitable to both people. One person was clearly on top. And now when you're going to court and the person that was on top is finding out they're getting less, they're not going to agree. Right. And so now you end up fighting to get back to where you could have been. If you hadn't, you know, if you would have chatted with somebody and found out, like, what's a real range here? I think for people who are thinking about divorce, what you said about where was the child living when you filed is going to raise some thought processes and some alarms. How important is it for people when they're thinking about this to to strategize in that way? Very important. Very important. Like, I, mean, I tell people, do not, unless, obviously, if there's, like, domestic violence issues, like, I tell people, never move out without a parenting agreement. Like, it, because as soon as you move out, like, you've lost control. 
And but obviously, how can that be? Is just the agreement signed by both parties enforceable enough that way? Yes. Okay. But like, if you don't have a or a parenting schedule worked out, because as soon as you move out, like you've lost control of the kids, and so people should really look at separation as divorce light. They might not go through with it, but they're setting the whole precedent for how everything's going to go forward. Yes. Right. When you say parenting schedule, does that mean worked out and filed with the attorneys? If you have it on a Google calendar, does that count? That counts. Just if you can show the judge, this is what we've been doing for the last month, two months, three months. Here's the calendar. Yes, you can make up a Google calendar, but most people don't. Right. Uh, and the court's just going to... Um, most people are not that savvy. Right. And and there, I mean, if, if you went to the work of having a calendar and... I mean, most people aren't going to lie and say, no, that that calendar is inaccurate. I didn't do it that way. Um, but there, there, there is an issue of fact, I mean, sometimes. So if somebody comes in to either one of you and is saying, hey, I'm probably going to get divorced, you know, maybe they're two people together and they're like, but we want to try something out. Can you help them draft a plan? And like, what, how would that, would that cost them? Like, you know, how much, what would it cost to do a trial divorce, I guess? And do you ever I do mean, anything like, like the that? Question, that's the million-dollar question, right? I think it, <laughs> it all depends on are people on the same page, right? If you're on the same page, divorce is easy, right? No, I don't mean the, the actual— Even a trial separation okay. is easy, right? It's, it's, it's almost the same negotiation aspects, right? Like we can give them ideas on how to implement things, but if, they're not, if their goals don't align, whether it's with kids or with money, then it's harder and it costs more. If it's, hey, you know— we want to have the kids 50-50, but we just don't know what schedules work. And I've Googled around on the internet and there's so many options. What do you see for success? That's much easier. We can say, here's what works. Here's what doesn't Got work, it. right? But and, you can help people in that in that pre-divorce stage do that, that kind of thing. Because I think people feel a finality when they're talking to an attorney. It's like, okay, now I'm sort of past that Rubicon and now I'm getting divorced because I'm talking to an attorney. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I think yeah, in the consultation, if it's relevant, we we talk about what what it might. I mean, if they both, they might already be separated. You never they, you never know how they come to you. They could have been separated the last two years, and they're doing right. a certain schedule. And at that point, I'm like, well, you've kind of set that precedent. It's kind of hard to change. But if they're yeah, if they're looking, we we do strategize those things. What what works? They may have their certain ideas. Like I want to do one day on, one day off, and. Like that's an example of something that usually doesn't work. And I usually encourage people to try it. Like, try. You don't know what's if you don't know what's going to work for you. If you haven't come in with a pretty good plan and you've like this is what's going to work, try it. Try it for a month, see if it works. But I think that also can set people up for vulnerabilities by what you're saying, right? So if they've been doing it for a month, and one says it's not working, and one says it is, is that? I mean, it causes problems, right? Because yeah. that's like going back to what I was saying before, like who's right and who's enjoying it and what is it really working and if they can't agree on that right and where do we go from here now if if president has been set by you know again like that example you gave two years but then they both agree and say we didn't have an agreement but we had precedent and we want to change that and we both agree to it does that negate the two years of precedent oh if if they agree to things then okay. you can make whatever order you want this is just two people she wanted the child to live more with her got it and um that was it. Generally, judges, if you agree to something, judges are going to stamp it unless it's clearly egregious, right? If it's in the range of what a normal person would do, doesn't seem like there's any red flags in the agreement, and two people walk up there and say, this is what we want, they'll say, great, good luck. 
I mean, I did a nesting, I did a divorce today, this morning, and they did a nesting agreement, which means that they, they share, the kids live in the residence where they lived, and the parents come in and out. That's very rare to see something like that, and it doesn't work for most people, but they did it, and the judge, she even said it on the record, she's like, this is very uncommon, but I'm going to do it, and hope good luck to you guys. I think it requires a certain level of financial yeah, I once had a deal. I was well. working somebody through that, and I was like, yeah. well, you know, instead of you getting a condo, you should try this nesting thing. It was like a big deal, and I ended up losing it, but I felt really good about the outcome. <laughs> that would be good for a TV show, a sitcom, the whole That's nesting right. uh, thing. If they What's wanted- funny about nesting mm-hmm. is that we expect children to go back and forth to different houses every weekend, every two days, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, they'll adapt. They'll be fine. But as soon as you put adults in that situation and make them come in and out of house and change houses every three to four days, it's chaos and it never works. So maybe it works in this one, right? But uh, it almost never works. And That's they why always never see it in the movies, right? Because it, it worked. That's why it'd be funny in a sitcom, though. Yes. It would be because some of my funniest stories are when we have a lot of times you'll have nesting before a divorce is finalized. Mm-hmm. You're still working things out. So, like, some of the most outrageous conflicts come from nesting schedules. Like, I've had one where they, it was years ago where they had to, um, they were stealing each other's food like roommates. So they had to write their names on things within the list. And like one person was was really angry. So like stole all the silverware one time when it was like their day. And so the person came back to like make dinner for the kids and there was like no pots and pans of silverware. So it's like outrageous things like that happening because people are like, try and poke them or they won't do the dishes or they took the dogs one time and all sorts of crazy things like that. Well, and this one, the wife actually traveled a lot for work, so I think that's mm. how she figured it out that I want to have 50-50 time with my kids, and one way to do it is to, you know, because I'm gone all the time. So that every case is unique, and they, so it worked in that case. Yeah, because it's I financially to challenging to have the house that is the nesting house. Then where do the parents go when they're not there? Do they share an apartment separately too? Are they in shared spaces all the time? I've seen that. Yeah. Um, do they operate with three households? Then that could be really expensive. So mm-hmm. yeah. No. So it sounds like a lot of people really misunderstand what separation really means and what what um, measures they should be taking to protect their self interest. Correct. Yes. You've been listening to Getting Split Ready. Casual, but pointed discussions on divorce and separation. Thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast. If you or someone that you know is considering or going through a divorce, please go to splitready.com, take the assessment, find out if you are indeed split ready, and remember that you can get through your divorce with your finances, integrity, and possibly your sanity intact. Before we sign off, though, I did want to thank our guests again, Patrick Markey from the Law Offices of Patrick Markey. Pat, if people want to get hold of you, what's the best way to get hold of you? Um, it's uh, markylaw.com is my website. You can call me or email me from that website. All contact information. We'll Correct. have your contact information on the rebroadcast. And Brian Wilson from Cogat & Wilson, LLC. Thanks again for being on the show. Brian, if they want to get hold of you. I mean, we're the same. Uh, you can go to our website and find an email there if you, if you feel more comfortable emailing, or you can always call us. Our phone number is 312-565-4100. Thanks so much for helping out our listeners and hoping everybody can get split ready. Thanks Thanks for having us.